Well, there you are, and welcome to Redemption's Table. I'm Robert Barge, your host. You've probably already noticed there's a little different vibe in the air today. It's December, one of my favorite times of year, and the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ is not that far away. Now, I don't know what Christmas means to you. I don't know how familiar you are with Advent. I don't know your family traditions, but I do know December can be one of the toughest months to get through when you are hurting inside. I was in that place last Christmas. Maybe that describes where you are today. Well, I believe encouragement and good surprise is already coming your way. And hopefully these December table episodes can add to that. I'm about to retrace my steps from 2020 as God led me on a most unusual adventure journey. So get ready. Your Christmas may be spinning, but God's invitation is solid. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. Well, there you are. And what a nice opening. Nice electric guitar by my good friend, Denby Cherry. A little bit of Jingle Bell Rock there. Just did a nice job. Buddy the Elf was not available, but Denby was. So thank you, Denby Cherry, for providing us with a little bit different listen to our opening soundtrack. Flashback 2020. A year ago, I was not in a Christmassy mood. I didn't put up any Christmas decorations. I barely listened to Christmas music. I just was not into the Advent season. And yet, because of who I am, I was expected to deliver four Advent messages in the weeks leading up to Christmas. I seriously thought about taking the whole month off last year. I normally love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of year. Before we go any further, let it be known, I have several phenomenal Christmas moments and memories from last year. So I wasn't a total Ebenezer, and I did share four, albeit antithetical, Advent messages I did something that was probably totally against Christian tradition, 2,000 years worth. I renamed the Advent Candles. (laughs) I did. Changed the names. And by doing so, for me at least, brought a deeper layer of meaning to the Advent journey. It was so significant to me that I feel led this year to introduce more people to this different kind of spin. Because let's face it, some of what we collectively experienced in 2020 is still with us, especially if you went through any kind of trauma last year. So I hope you will join me these next four weeks for this adventure story. Advent launches the story of stories at the heart of the story of stories. And the Advent story begins where all stories begin with words. Now, there are four gospel writers in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each of them are writing. They're telling the story of Jesus, and each one begins the Jesus story in a different place. Mark, he skips Christmas altogether, and he begins with Jesus on the bank of the Jordan River. Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy back to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Luke goes back even further all the way back to creation, to Adam. 
And then the Gospel of John, John sweeps back even further than that. He goes behind creation into the eternities, and by doing so, reveals the Advent story begins where all stories begin, with words. More specifically, the word. In John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning was the word, the logos, a word expressed, a revelation. Every year at Christmas, we anticipate the story with four words, four themes. If you are in a person of faith and you're in a church setting, you probably have the Advent candle there where you worship, and we celebrate, anticipate with four words. The themes are hope, love, joy, peace. That's the correct order of the Advent candle, the lighting of the Advent candle. Hope, love, joy, peace. And with each word, we light a candle. And you may think there's a circle around the Christ candle as you light those four candles, but actually it's not a circle, it's a spiral. Because every week as one candle is lit, we spiral closer and closer to the heart of the story. The heart of the story is the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a word guy. Words fascinate me. I catch words. They catch me. They have stories of their own. I have favorite words. And these words, hope, love, joy, peace, they're simple words. But if words were trees, these four words would be redwood trees. These words stretch and point like arrows towards heaven. The taller the word, the broader the shade. The taller the word, the deeper the roots. And sometimes words can become so broad, so deep, so tall, we may be using the same word in conversation with someone, but our thoughts while using that word are not the same. We may find ourselves like Inigo Montoya's famous line from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Hope, love, joy, peace, they definitely fit in that category. So last year, during my heavy Advent season, Christmas season, I came upon four different words to define a little more sharply these four very familiar, very huge words. And so today we're looking at the word that defines hope. And this word you probably haven't heard before, the word that I want to introduce to you today is eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. Don't let the big word scare you. I heard this word for the first time last summer during a high school graduation ceremony. Eucatastrophe. E-U catastrophe. It's a story term. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about in just a moment. Eucatastrophe means a good catastrophe. If a catastrophe is what happens when everything's great and then it tears apart, like a worldwide pandemic, then eucatastrophe is what happens when everything's terrible and suddenly, out of nowhere, light and beauty heal what was broken. 
Eucatastrophe is that moment when everything that was falling apart reverses and starts falling together. Eucatastrophe is that moment when all hope is gone and suddenly all hope breaks loose. Hope is everywhere you look. J.R.R. Tolkien, writer of the Lord of the Rings books, he's the one who coined the word eucatastrophe, and he defines it this way. A eucatastrophe is the sudden, unexpected, joyous turn. Now, I know you've seen it in stories. For example, it's that moment when George Bailey, in It's a Wonderful Life, he's standing there on the bridge about to commit suicide because Uncle Billy has lost an $8,000 deposit, and Clarence the angel jumps into the water ahead of George to save his life. It's that moment, the final battle of Avengers Infinity War. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, when everybody who you thought was dead shows up at the end to fight Thanos. It is Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker firing the impossible shot that blows up the Death Star. It begins when Frodo Baggins decides to make the journey to the enemy territory of Mordor to destroy the One Ring at the only place where it can be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. It begins when Lucy steps through a wardrobe into the snowscape of Narnia. You catastrophes take place in real life, too. For example, if you live in the state of Alabama, it is one second on the clock in the 2013 Iron Ball. <laughs> you catastrophe for Auburn. It is the armies of Britain being pushed back onto Dunkirk Beach in France by Nazi forces in 1940, literally being pushed into the ocean with nowhere else to go and not enough naval vessels to save them. And suddenly, an amateur armada shows up, 860 vessels to bring the British troops home. That is a little bit how 2020 felt to me. A little bit like my own personal Dunkirk. It seemed to me as if all the ground I had gained in my life for the past seven and a half, eight years had slowly receded and given way to a thin, worn line of hope. It seemed the enemy had pushed me back to the fringe of hope. And the fringe of hope, folks, it's, it's hopelessness. The author of the book of Acts in the Bible is Luke. And in Acts 27, 17, he writes about being caught in a storm on a ship. And he said, We took such a violent battering from the storm when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul writes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Elton John, wonderful song writer. He has a song, Sad Songs, and the lyric from Sad Songs is, When all hope is gone, sad songs say so much. And I have to say, I love the song, Elton, but not really. Sad songs just say, oh, I'm sad. The light of hope is either getting brighter in your life or it's getting darker. Which is it? The fringe of hope is hopelessness. And that is where 
the Advent story begins on that edge of darkness. Maybe that's where you feel like you are right now. Wake up, take note. That's where Advent begins, on that edge, that fringe of hopelessness. And in John's gospel, it begins with a word, the word. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. And that word was, in the imperfect form, it expresses continuous action in past time. So let's read it again with that in mind. It reads this way. In the beginning always was the Word, and the Word always was with God, and the Word always was God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. The same always was in the beginning with God. You hear about in the beginning with God, it goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, or the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is reminding his listeners, his readers, of the truth that has always been. No matter how dark and hopeless it seems, the truth is that word that always was, always is. I remember when we first went into quarantine back in the spring of 2020, and Colossians 1, 15 through 17 brought tremendous hope, and, and I used it to remind uh, friends of, hey, uh, things, things are not as bad as they seem. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this, talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What an incredible word. It may look like everything's flying apart, but according to Colossians 1.17, it says Jesus is holding all things together. Now, all this is true. All that we've read thus far, Genesis 1.1, John 1.1, Colossians 1.17, all this is true, but after God created the heavens and the earth, after Jesus created the heavens and the earth, we know the story. All of creation had a catastrophe. All hell broke loose when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Sin marred God's intent. And the Old Testament is the story of stories that leads to one story after another. It's one catastrophe or eucatastrophe after another. For example, you have Abraham being commanded by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, the son whom God promised through Isaac would launch a, a great nation. And Abraham raises the knife to sacrifice Isaac. And eucatastrophe, there's a ram in the thickets. 
And he sacrifices the ram instead. God stops him. The angel stops him. Then there's Joseph. He has all these dreams. And, and because of his dreams, jealousy is created with, between him and his brothers. And they throw him in a pit. And they sell him into slavery. And he's down there for 21 years in Egypt. But God set him up so that when there was a worldwide famine, Joseph was there. And God used him to save the people and to provide food. You catastrophe. Children of Israel, they were between Pharaoh and the deep Red Sea. You catastrophe. They were between a rock and a hard place. Pharaoh's breathing down their necks. They can't, they can't go anywhere. They're stuck. And God opens up the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea, and they go through on dry ground. And on and on and on the, the, the stories go through judges, kings, and prophets until a 400-year silence between the Old Testament and the New. Can you imagine a 400-year pandemic? Imagine 400 years where God doesn't even clear his throat, much less say a word. Isaiah 9 describes it this way, the people walking in darkness. Those people walking in darkness, they were ripe for you catastrophe. And therefore, when Zechariah Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds received visits from angels in Luke chapter 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2. They were witnessing something unseen and unheard of for 400 years. Going back to John's account, John 1, 4, talking about Jesus, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, was, there's that word was again, in Christ always was life. Even while all this was going on, in Christ always was life. And thee is the definite article, the life was the light of men. John's encouraging his listeners. You may think it's dark, but the light is still there. All may seem quiet as a tomb, but God's heartbeat can still be heard. A few years ago, I was at Christmas at Shades, this incredible Christmas event, and you'll be, you, you heard about it last week on the podcast. But I remember being struck by a song that I was familiar with the song, the song's Waymaker, but the song had really never made much of an impression on me before until that night at Christmas at Shades. I think it was 2019 when I heard Waymaker, like I heard it for the very first time. And the words go, Waymaker, talking about God. God is the Waymaker, the miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. It may appear to you that it's just not getting any better right now. You may feel that things are just not working right now. Let me assure you, let me promise you, there's you catastrophe on the horizon. There is hope there. For again, going to John, John 1, 5, it says, The light, talking about Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The picture here is of darkness chasing light as night chases day. The darkness of evil keeps on chasing the light of life, but the darkness cannot overcome it. We may be on the fringe of hopelessness, hope, of darkness, light, but let me promise you, let me assure you, the light is gonna hold. Last year, 
in a week when I was about to go see my therapist, my counselor, I was sitting at my table. I leave an open Bible there each morning when I spend time alone with God. And my Bible was open randomly to John 13, 7. It's a verse that's talking about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And when Jesus started washing their feet, Peter, one of his disciples, said, you're not going to wash my feet. And John 13, 7 says, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. My eyes just happened to fall upon that verse. I was just sitting there in a, in a funk, in, in stillness, in quietness. And my eyes landed on that verse. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. As if God was speaking to me through that verse. I was not in that story between Jesus and Peter, but that verse applied to me. And Also about that time, prior to going to see my counselor, that song, I Still Believe, Jeremy Camp's song, it was repeating in my mind. Just it, I still believe, no matter how bad things are, I still believe. But that song was beginning to feel like the bottom of my faith. And so when I walked in to see my counselor that week, I just said, I know exactly where I am. I can give you longitude and latitude. My Longitude is 13.7 degrees north. Luke, thir- or excuse me, John 13.7. I am the place of not understanding a thing. And my latitude is 9.24 degrees west. I am at the bottom of my faith. I'm between the place of not understanding a thing and the bottom of my faith. And along about that time, he said, you're carrying a lot of weight. And I said, yeah, I am. Past weight, present weight, future weight. Eucatastrophe. We're ripe for eucatastrophe in those type settings. We see this eucatastrophe vividly displayed in nature every December 21st. December 21st is the shortest day of the year. It's also the longest night. It's winter solstice. It's as if at that pinpoint in time, God says, enough. Enough of the darkness encroaching. Let's move towards the light. That, by the way, is four days before Christmas. Eucatastrophe. It's this marvelous moment where out of seemingly nowhere, everything reverses, everything changes. It's a good catastrophe. As J.R.R. Tolkien describes it, it's the sudden, unexpected, joyous turn. Wait for it, he writes, in such stories, when the sudden turn turn comes, we get a piercing glimpse of joy and heart's desire that for a moment passes outside the frame, rends indeed the very web of the story, and lets a gleam of light come through. And I believe we are in a world that needs that right now. The reason we share one another's stories, I'm not sharing my story with you today to unload my burden on you. I'm sharing my story in case someone is listening out there and you breathe a sigh of relief. And I thought I was the only one feeling that way. Good news, you're not. Tolkien argued that God is telling a eucatastrophe story, and I believe he's right. Jesus' birth is the eucatastrophe of creation's story. 
But the truth is, because of Jesus, it's getting better now. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is on the move. It is better on planet Earth since Jesus walked this planet. His birth is the eucatastrophe of creation's story, and the resurrection is the eucatastrophe of Jesus' story. You go to Luke 24, 20 through 21, right after Jesus had been crucified, right after Jesus was dead, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, encounters a couple of disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, and they tell Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, they tell him the story. They said, the chief priest and our rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. When they said we had hoped, what they're really saying is we're out of hope. We have no more hope. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the author of the story of stories. Jesus is the focus of the story of stories. Jesus is the word. And therefore, he is every word of the story of stories. Just as Jesus has written a glorious end to his own story, I love what author and musician Andrew Peterson says. He says, the author is good and has written a glorious ending to our story. That's why we can't allow ourselves to linger in despair for long. It is precisely when all hope seems lost that hope is most important. No matter how bad things seem, we don't know for certain that the good guys won't win. And in fact, a good author makes it look like they won't until the very end. Bob Goff wrote these words. He says, hope doesn't go to sleep just because it's dark outside. It lights a candle and stays up waiting for the rest of the story. For evil has a way of looking like it's going to win right up until it doesn't. Even when it seems like hope has lost the lead, redemption is where the story is headed. I hope you'll be with us each of these next four weeks as we anticipate where the adventure is headed. Until next week.